The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the bounce back in stocks and why one of our committee members is buying tech today. You'll find out who and what. We'll also debate the state of your money and the markets. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian. He, of course, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We do begin with a look at the markets. Despite a tick up in rates today, we have a nice tick up in stocks today. Pretty good bounce. Take a look at the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ. Everything's positive. NASDAQ's getting the biggest bounce from a percentage standpoint. Uh, it's almost 1.5%, but a good day across the board. There's the 10-year note, the yield at 153. We're also, of course, watching shares of Facebook. They continue to react to that hearing on Capitol Hill that the Tech Check gang was just talking about. Pete, I just want to go to you on that note. I asked your brother yesterday when he was on what you might be doing with your stock and your options I understand that you mm -hmm. bought more puts yesterday and that you're actually thinking about buying more stock. At some point, I, I probably would, Scott. I think uh, fundamentally, I think the story is still there. Is, is it going to change and possibly some of what, what's going to change coming from Washington, D.C.? I, I think you could say yes. Is, there's probably going to be some change. I still look at this company and I'll tell you, they have built something that whether you like it, dislike it, whatever, you don't, your opinion on Mark Zuckerberg and the C-suite, that's something different. But they have built something that, unless they are forced to tear it apart, it is an absolute uh, behemoth. And I keep using that expression because that is what they are. I talked to Gene Munster just yesterday, and he was saying the same thing. He says, temporarily, yeah, there's going to be pressure. There might even be some changes. But overall, this is a monstrous platform that still has this incredible uh, sort of area to be able to spread across. We're talking about three billion folks. So I think potentially, Scott, um, not that this will blow over. Things probably are going to change. And I still think this is a company that has plenty of different fundamental reasons why this stock could go a lot higher still. Okay. Um, Neely Patel, who was just on uh, the last hour, the, uh, the Verge editor-in-chief, mm -hmm. called it a watershed moment for Facebook. Josh, I'd, I'd love your thoughts because I do recall a conversation that we had on this program with you and at this point, it's probably three, four years ago at least, where you said you would never own this stock ever again, if, if even you once did. Yeah, I, well, I don't want to, I mean, I have exposure to it like everybody else through like index funds and, and whatever, because it's so big and it's so ubiquitous, you know, across people's retirement portfolios. So you can't completely escape it. The question is, like, do I want to be overweighted relative to that? Like, do I want to own the company individually? And I don't because it's cigarettes, right? 
Um, but the stock, to Pete's point, it really has been Teflon over the years. So it's 15% off its highs, which sounds like a lot, but you know it's a it's a high beta. Uh, tech large cap stock that does happen from time to time. It's had a lot of these types of pullbacks over the years. All of them have ultimately resulted in enough lip service from Cheryl and Mark that you get a record high at some point when people stop paying attention. Is this the one that doesn't uh, have that result? Like, is this the one that fundamentally changes the way this company has been able to push off all of that kind of negative sentiment? I don't know that you could say that so quickly. The company's still printing money. Uh, it's still part of this duopoly with Alphabet for online advertising. Fortune 500 companies have found that they could throw out all of the other places they advertise and just do Google and Facebook and be just fine. And that's not going to change from what I understand based on some of the different types of changes that they're proposing the company makes. So uh, it's been a bad bet to say, this is it for Facebook, it's over uh, historically, and I'm unconvinced that this time will be different from an investing perspective. From a societal perspective, I've already thrown this one in the trash. Yeah. I'm just talking about where the stock goes. I, I, I don't think you're the only one who thinks that from a investment perspective. And frankly, the fact that the stock isn't down a whole lot more on this or what might be coming down the pike says a lot in and of itself. And there will be or could be Certainly sounds like there will be more coming down the pike. Let's listen to a soundbite from Senator Markey about Mark Zuckerberg. Here's my message for Mark Zuckerberg. Your time of invading our privacy, promoting toxic content, and preying on children and teens is over. Congress will be taking action. You can work with us or not work with us, but we will not allow your company to harm our children and our families and our democracy any longer. All right, there you go from Senator Markey. Stephanie Link, um, much publicized position in Twitter. What about Facebook? <clears throat> well, I do not own Facebook. I'm actually underweight Fang. I'm underweight Apple. I think they're over-owned. Um, and I also think that they're still up a lot. I mean, only Apple is up 5% and Amazon is flat, but every other company within the FANG complex is up about 25 to 45%, even with this pullback. I think the Facebook news is very alarming, number one. Um, it'll cap the multiple, number two. But I still see third quarter revenues are probably going to be on the upside. The big question on Facebook is what are expenses going to do as a result of this? They're going to have to invest more in content policy. Uh, changes. And that's uh, that's not going to be good for the operating leverage story that this company has seen over the last couple of years. So I just think there are other places to be in technology, Scott. I am overweight semis. I am overweight semi-cap equipment. I'm also overweight cybersecurity and enterprise spending recovery stories where I can justify the multiple that are not in the crosshairs with politics. Uh, and, and I see good value. But you've been you've been underweight tech. And as a matter of fact, and it really plays into the story that we begin our show talking about. It's the snapback yep. that we're witnessing today, whether it's oversold and it I'm talking about technology is oversold enough that it's time to buy some stocks in which, in fact, you are. And you're adding to the places yes, which you just I, mentioned you own Broadcom and NXP. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Broadcom's been a lagger. It's up 9%. It trades at 18 times. It gives you a 3% dividend yield. Cloud CapEx is running up 31% year over year. That means that Broadcom has upside for next year. Um, AI, only 10% penetrated in the cloud. So there's really a lot of tailwinds there. And, and it's also an Apple play, right? Content. Um, so I like Broadcom very much, and I've been adding to it. Um, and uh, NXPI is an auto play, right? I mean, the, the auto shutdowns means you're going to see massive pent-up demand in fiscal 2022, and I want to get ready for that. The stock is off 17% from its highs, and it trades at about 18 times forward. And auto, we know, is about 40% of total revenues, and they have 11% market share. So, oh, by the way, they're also buying back $2 billion worth of stock, and they raised their dividend back in March. I wouldn't be surprised if they do more of that, too. So I see stories. I see opportunities. I am still underweight tech. But into the weakness, I want to add to my favorite areas. Are we at that point? Jim Labenthal, Mr. All-In, where we have seen enough selling that it's time to buy some stocks like, like Stephanie Link is. Somebody else is, too, and I'm going to get to them in just a minute. But if you look at, let's just say the NASDAQ, okay? This is an unbelievable stat. 70% of the NASDAQ 100, those names are down double digits from their highs. 70%. Jim, Qualcomm <laughs> is down 24%. I've got people on Twitter asking <sighs> me to ask you yeah. about that. Starbucks yep. is off 12% from its highs. Talk to me. So there's a lot to unpack there, and let me make sure I cover it all. Uh, first off, the answer to your question is yes, I think you can buy tech here. I think you have to be understanding, though, that you're not looking for multiple expansion over the next couple of years. You're really looking for, at best, the multiples to stay where they are, and you get the earnings growth, which is going to be you know, 10, 12, 15 percent. You've got to be happy with that. That's a big come down. That's what the stocks are going to do. That's a big come down from the last five years when something like Apple was up 40% per annum. Now, you know, specific to what I'm doing, better, I don't want to sound better, like I'm talking out of both sides of my hype. mouth. You better hope earnings live up to the hype, because uh, if you're not getting multiple expansion, yeah, you're well, going to get it all on uh, earnings. That's just what I said. And I, I don't think when I say 10% to 15% earnings growth, if I look at a company like Apple, where, you, as you know, I added shares in February, should have taken that overweight off a month or so ago. I missed that. That's on me. But I'm holding that overweight now. Um, look, I can see that 10 to 15% earnings growth because they're generating so much cash that they're buying it back. Now, I do want to touch on Qualcomm. It's on my mind. You're right to bring it up. I read the Twitter posts as well. Let me be clear. I I'm not selling it. I'm very disappointed in the share price performance. And that could be one of two things. It could be the market acting irrationally about the stock, or it could be the market telling me something. In my experience, which is substantial at this point in time, with a stock that is this high quality, when you see a share price decline for no reason, this high quality of a company, it tells you that the market's acting irrationally. And I'm not going to sell it until there is a reason to sell it, something that justifies the price decline. I certainly could be wrong, but I think that this is more a consolidation phase that we've seen with so many stocks this year, including Apple, including Amazon, including Disney, which I know we'll talk about later. So I just want to be clear to the viewers, I am not selling Qualcomm. I still believe in it. It's very similar to Stephanie's Broadcom, and I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. What, it's down 10 percent in the last three months. You saw what it's done year to date uh, as well. There's, there's a look at shares, as Jim Labenthal says. Mr. All-In is um, not going anywhere. Uh, he's staying in. So I did yep. mention that somebody else was making moves as well. Pete, that's you. You bought NVIDIA calls. Okay. Um, and NVIDIA is one of those stocks on my list of the 70% of NASDAQ 100 names down double digits from the highs. This one down 11.5%. So you're buying more. Josh owns it as well, well publicized. 
uh, his belief in this company over the years. Tell me why you're buying more. Uh, and in terms of calls, I believe they are. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's how I want to play NVIDIA, only because I think it can be a very volatile stock. Josh has done a magnificent job holding on to this because there has been a lot of ups, but there's been some pullbacks as well. So what, what triggered it for me today, Scott, was quite frankly, as soon as we got into the trading session, we were starting to see a lot of different FANG type names getting bought. I mean, every, you, you name it, we were seeing it for the most part. Amazon was one of those names. But NVIDIA stuck out for me because it was an opportunity. It was very short options. These expire on Friday. They bought the 202 strike calls, 202 and a half, and the 205 strike calls. 9,000 plus of each of those two different calls. So that said a lot to me. That wasn't just a call spread like we've seen in the past where somebody's capping their upside. They're buying one and selling another. They were buying both here. And as a matter of fact, it didn't stop there. It actually even extends out to Netflix, Scott, where we were seeing an incredible thing again where they were buying both strikes. And matter of fact, Netflix is up another $5 from where they started when they started initiating some of these buys. All of them are very, very short term. That's been the theme. The theme is we get movement. Well, I guess this last couple of days really, uh, you know, shows that all, all too well. Friday, we're down huge, nearly 500 points. Or, or up 500 points. Monday, we're down nearly 500 points. Today, we're bouncing right back. It gives you a little bit of a sense of how fast this market, the velocity of the moves that we are getting, is absolutely extraordinary, like something I haven't seen in a long time. These are not like, it's not like a week long of, oh, yeah, we've got this going on. We're talking about each and every day. The last three days have been absolutely staggering. But when they're starting to buy those calls, Scott, I'm definitely jumping on board. I did both of that, NVD and as well, I did Netflix. Josh Brown, PayPal's down 16% from its high. CrowdStrike is down 15.5% from the high. I mentioned Starbucks down 12%. Um, what do you think about these names in the magnitude of their declines off of their best levels? Well, this is, this is part of the game, number one. Number two, um, maybe it would be good to think about how the percentage they're up from their low. Of course. At the same time as you think about the percentage they're, they're off the high. Uh, Scott, very few people uh, have what it takes to have 500% gains in stocks, 1,000% gains in stocks. Uh, very few people can do that because what's required, if, you, if you're attempting to do that, are two ingredients that don't come easy. One is patience, and the other is emotional fortitude um, to live through the drawdowns. There are no massive winners from throughout history that you didn't have to ride down 50% of times. Netflix is making a record high right now. It's a great example. That stock had been cut in half on eight separate occasions over the last decade. Cut in half, not down 15%. So this is what comes with the territory. And when you look at the NVIDIAs and the crowd strikes um, and, and the Netflixes of the world, some of the uh, Chipotle, oh my God, some of the biggest winners of all time, that has been the necessary ingredient. Sit tight patience, believe in the big picture, and accept the fact that not everybody will be able to hold and there will be selling, sometimes for good reason, sometimes for no reason. So that's where we are with some of the, the well, large cap growth stocks. Let me ask you this. And we've been there before. Let, let me ask you so this. I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not bringing these up as, um, as a negative. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly bringing these up as, uh, hey, have these things gone down enough, it's time to buy them, right? That, that's, yeah, no, that's where I we're trying totally to go. Agree. Yeah, so look, I, I think that I think that for most investors who, you know, have decades ahead of them, 
they're aware of some of these stocks. They, they see that they've gone up a lot and they say, oh, man, I missed that one. Or how come nobody told me about that one? That's why I personally always keep a list of the trades that I've missed and, and hope for better entry points. Uh, I have stocks on my list like Lulu that I've watched go up 500 points and never pulled the trigger on. It's embarrassing because the whole way up, I've said, oh, man, I should have been in that. I know that story, etc." So I keep these types of lists, and I think everyone should. And by the way, we really haven't had that big of a pullback yet market-wide. But in some of these names, Scott, to your point, you have had the opportunity uh, created by this volatility because they've been way more volatile than the market. The last thing I'll say on this, dollar cost averaging takes a lot of this guesswork out of the equation for you. It's very hard to do with individual stocks. You can do it with sectors. You can do it with asset classes. And it makes a lot of sense for people who aren't going to sit and stare at their screen all day. A perfect case in point is how well it's been working with Bitcoin. A lot of people don't realize BTC was in a drawdown from 63000 a coin to 39000 uh, earlier this month. People that had been doing that kind of dollar cost averaging, now it's back at 50K. They didn't have to be crypto geniuses. They just had to understand that there are ups and downs. And if you set the rules in advance, you can buy the downs without having to um, go through all this emotional stuff or try to rack your brain thinking of the best time to buy. So that's really the way I think most people should think about volatility okay. and not think that they're going to know the exact right moment to strike. Let me go back to the Linkster, if I can, for, for a second. So what you did in NXP, uh, because it's on my list, too, down 16 percent from, from its high. Um, are you thinking about or why aren't you doing the same in Lamb Research, which is down 17 percent from its high or Match, which is down 12 yeah, no, they're on my list for sure, especially lamb down 18%, right? And the rising cost and complexity of chip making, just being in like the fourth or fifth inning. These guys are the leader in the space in etch. Uh, I think uh, the WFE wafer fab equipment spend is going to be 100 billion maybe by the end of this year, definitely next year. So I like it. Um, it's not expensive. It's come down a lot. Uh, so it's on my list. Match also. It's look, look, this is the ultimate reopen. You think that people want to date in person instead of online and they are monetizing their apps. And I do like their M&A strategy very much. And I like the fact that it just got into the S&P 500 as well. So these are definitely on my short lists. I have cash. I, I have a lot of cash right now. So I actually think uh, if, if earnings presents opportunities for me um, or these stocks just keep kind of correcting, I'll be adding to them. Absolutely. What's real interesting is I'm just learning, too, and um, even more reason why you want to be a member of the CNBC Investing Club um, that Jim Cramer has just announced within the last week. He's literally put out a post, and there's, there's the QR code where you can do it right here as we're having this conversation as I tell you what he just bought. Or go to CNBC.com forward slash investing club. You can do it there, however you prefer. Um, they're going to be buying 25 <laughs> shares of PayPal at roughly $258.57 is what he said for the charitable trust. That will represent a near 4% weighting uh, in the trust. And that follows the news that Jim shared with everybody this morning of the Disney buy. That was buying more stock. Remember last week he had said, you know, his, his view of Chapek, Bob Chapek, the CEO, had changed a bit. Uh, he went back in, I think it was $171 where he said it last week. He bought more this, this, uh, this morning. 
uh, or within the last 24 hours, let's just say, and he shared that with everybody today. But this plays into the conversation. There's the, there's the reaction in PayPal shares as Kramer announces through the CNBC Investing Club that he's bought more. Right, Josh, this was just the conversation that we're trying to have. At what point do you say, look, some of this uh, selling has just become too indiscriminate when it, re- when it relates to a lot of technology names? And that's just gotten absurd. Yeah, um, so I'm in PayPal. I've been following Square. And this is a stock that essentially has fallen from like 280 down to 230. Um, when you look at you, when you look at this stock over the last year or so, you see that the 200 level has represented support multiple times. Like that's the kind of thing that I feel like is very constructive to say, I don't own Square. I think they have massive potential. I feel like I've missed it. I'm waiting for that 200 level. I may not get it. So maybe what I want to do is I want to say, okay, ultimately I want to own, you know, X, X amount of shares in this stock. Why don't I buy a third here just in case this is the low? If it's not, I can add to my position as it works its way down to that level of support. If it is the low and this thing is back off to the races, at least I pulled the trigger on something. That's the type of behavior that historically has rewarded people when they marry that type of behavior um, with a, a great long-term company that's built a platform that seems pretty unassailable, which is what Square seems like to me. So um, that's a constructive way, I think, to carry yourself in this kind of environment, this kind of atmosphere. And by the way, uh, Square has, uh, is another name that you've had to withstand a lot of volatility on the way to where it's gotten now. So I think that's a really good point that you make, Judge. And I think there are a lot of examples of things that people could be doing right now. I'm just looking at two more, Pete, uh, right in your wheelhouse of two of the, let's say, bigger decliners off of their highs out of the Nasdaq 100. Micron's on my list, down 27 percent. You own shares. Uh, Intel is down 21 percent, of which you own stock as well. So how do you view these two? Disappointing. (laughs) Um, Clearly disappointing, given what we're seeing there versus some of the other names in the space. But, you know, we had a great run in the SMH for a while there. We We were basically establishing a new high almost every single day. We started to see some of those pullbacks. And these particular names, I actually still would probably prefer uh, Micron of the two. But uh, Intel, I think, does have some promise, but I think that's a longer play. And so for now, I'm willing to hold on to it. I sell calls against it. I collect my dividend yield. And so far, so good. But with with Micron, this is one of those names where I'm a little bit more disappointed because they haven't really had the same kind of headline risk that we've seen clearly out of Intel. And, And yet the stock performance just isn't there. I really still love this company. I still think they have a lot of different reasons why this is a company that going into the future still is in a lot of the right spots right now in the semiconductor world and in storage and all the rest. So I'm impressed with what they've got. They just start, have to start impressing the rest of the, uh, the rest of the investors out there that this is a company yeah. that is worth owning. I think it is, but uh, that's why I'm okay going out and going somewhere like an NVIDIA with the, with the options because that way I, I've got myself into a position where I've got timing at the right place, I think, for something to explode to the upside. And if I miss it, it's not as big of a hurt as it is in some other places. One of the key questions is whether the growth rollover that I've been highlighting here reverses itself. And if it doesn't, at least for the time being, what that means for the overall market moves. Now, Tom Lee has a new note today 
which says equity markets can still advance without growth leading. He says a faltering slash losing growth leadership doesn't mean the S&P 500 has to fall. Uh, that also is, is buttoned by a, a Jonathan Krinsky note, Farmer Jim, who says the NDX also finds itself as oversold as it has been since March when it bottomed after an 11 percent decline. Even if we don't get back to new highs, Krinsky says, and he's you know, a, a noted technical uh, analyst strategist that we follow and, and have on on yeah. frequent occasion. He says the next meaningful move looks to be higher to us. Does it look higher Scott, to I, you? I think this is really simple. I think this has really simply explained what's gone on, say, the last week and a half. I know you and I argued about whether it's higher interest rates the other day, but I think it's simpler than that. Delta has peaked. It's clear. The reopening trade is on, and there needs to be a source of funds. If you want to buy General Motors, Marathon Petroleum, Cleveland Cliffs, Boeing, all these things, if you want to buy that, you got to have a source of funds. And it clearly comes out of the FANG names when that happens. Now, to the question that you asked, we've already seen earlier this year, the first quarter of this year that large cap growth faltered and the market did just fine. Frankly, I got to tell you the truth. I don't care what the market overall does. I don't buy spiders or triple Qs or anything like that. I buy individual stocks. As you know, I'm heavily weighted towards the cyclical slash reopening slash value side of the house. That's doing really well. Look at those those charts of, say, GM, Marathon, Petroleum, uh, Cleveland at, Cliffs, look at this. Transocean. Those are doing really well right now, regardless of what Apple and Amazon no, are doing. No, I'm looking at, at some of these, you know, reopen names, cyclical value plays that you're mentioning. Bank of America is at levels not seen since February of 2008. Diamondback Energy, highest levels since October of 2018. Marathon Oil since May 19. ConocoPhillips since October of 18. And then JB, the TRB, Josh Brown, Live Nation, all-time high today, Josh. Yeah, because to Jim's point, like, we have, we have these 10 stocks that are 40% of the index or whatever the stat is. And when they have a when they have when there's a moment where people are making money away from them, they do end up being a source of funds, at least temporarily. And so you get like this kind of blah uh, market environment at the index level. But then at the sector level, it's popping off. And you can see that in a lot of different charts right now that just don't happen to be three, four hundred billion dollar market caps. And I think that's a healthy tape. Even within the fangs, Judge, there's a lot of dispersion. Amazon is negative on the year. Alphabet is up 55%. So the people that were saying like, oh, indexing, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's all monolithic. The money comes in and it pumps up the same four stocks. LOL, you have no idea what you're talking about. Look at the difference between how these different stocks are being treated by investors. It's almost as if people are acting rational and the index isn't killing capitalism. OMG. <laughs> By the way, of the fangs, Kramer said I'd buy more Microsoft right here. Uh, that stock's only down a half percent this week. Over the last month, down four and a half percent. And it is six percent off its 52-week high. Let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to show you a mystery chart. You can take a look at it now, actually. It's doubled this year. There's a new call out today saying it can go another 30 percent higher from here. Why do we mention it? Because one of our investment committee members owns it and is adding to it. We're going to debate it in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. All right, we're going to reveal the mystery chart now. We showed it to you before the break, and it is Fortinet. Look at it today. It's up near 4%, just shy of 300 bucks. Initiated overweight, Wells Fargo, the price target 380. Stephanie Link, you own it. In fact, you bought more on Friday. I did. Um, I trimmed it a couple of weeks ago. I made great money, but it's down 7%. And I really like cybersecurity in general. The total addressable market is going to be $354 billion by 2026, up from $167 billion this year. They're taking share because they have price performance advantage in their products. They're moving upstream to the enterprise and they're going to grow or they're probably going to grow earnings um, 20%. Revenues north of that. Free cash flow growth of 20%, which is better than its peers where they're only growing free cash flow of 15%. So I like it. It's expensive. I don't have many of these kinds of names in my portfolio, but this is definitely a total addressable market story that I like, and I hope I'm getting it on sale. Well, Josh Brown has one of these stocks in his portfolio. I referenced it earlier. Josh, it's CrowdStrike. I want to listen. I want you to listen to what Joe Terranova told us about a week ago or so about CrowdStrike. I know Josh Brown and Jim Cramer, they're both going to get mad at me about this, but this was a trade. Back on June 7th, I bought CrowdStrike down at 214 and a quarter. I specifically bought it because at the time, long duration assets were correcting significantly. I took advantage of that. Okay. Now I'm beginning to suspect that longer duration assets are going to roll over the other way, and that's exactly what CrowdStrike is. Okay, so he prefaces it by saying, yeah, it was, it was just a trade. But, but what do you think about the move in general? I don't know that I've had a chance to talk to you about this particular move and a stock that you've loved for a long time. Joe Terranova can do no wrong in my eyes. Let's start with that. <laughs> um, but we're at, I mean, he, look, he's not always right. He likes 388. I like Mateo's. Like, we have different tastes. But um, what he's talking about sounds like macro in nature. He's talking about rates uh, punishing long-duration assets that could be totally true in the short or intermediate term, but that's not what I'm doing in the stock. And I'm definitely not looking to scalp it for 10 points in one direction or the other. So we could both be right. He could be right for selling it for the reason he sold it. And I could be right because a year from now, talk, talk about Stephanie's TAM comment, a $350 billion market cap, uh, a total addressable market, I think is a starting point. Not a day goes by where there's not another ransomware Episode, And we're not just talking about public schools in Nevada being held uh, hostage. We're talking about hospitals. Judge, last, last week, a baby died because it, it was given birth to in a hospital that was undergoing a ransomware attack. This is, for me, um, along with climate change, one of the biggest risks to humanity over the next 10 years. Companies like Fortinet and CrowdStrike that are addressing this risk 
I honestly feel are an indispensable part of people's long-term portfolios. So God bless, Joe. I'm going to stick around. I have a sense that you'll be back to this stock. I hope you don't have to pay up for it. 388. Uh, is that on the South Shore? No, no, no. Oh, my God. That's on the North. <laughs> 388. I'm getting flustered now. It's at the top of the Seaford Oyster Bay. It's okay. It's not bad. Where's I'm just Mateos? saying, like, Mateo's is better. Is it is on the same location? Well, there, well, there, are, th- there are three of them. I well, go okay. to the one in Belmore. Okay. You guys can go to one of those and discuss CrowdStrike <laughs> in, in the near future, I hope. Frank Holland. You can come. Frank Holland. You can come. <laughs> I'll be there. He has the headlines. Frank. Hey there, Scott. Uh, I like restaurants on the North Shore myself. Uh, just outside the Supreme Court, Capitol Hill police reacting to a suspicious vehicle. A controlled detonation was used to remove the driver from an SUV. Police say no weapon was found and that an active investigation is still underway. In France, a major new report estimates 330,000 children were sexually abused by Catholic priests and other church figures over the past 70 years. The Vatican says Pope Francis expressed, quote, profound sadness when he heard the report's findings but also gratitude for the victims having the courage to speak out. The Associated Press finding records showing a slow response to the major oil spill off the Southern California coast. AP reports the Coast Guard received the first report of a possible spill more than 12 hours before a company reported that leak and the cleanup efforts were launched. On the news, the search for answers and why more wasn't done sooner to contain the oil spill that is tonight at 7 Eastern. And a Princeton professor is one of three researchers to share this year's Nobel Prize for Physics. Their work found order and seeming chaos that was crucial in predicting climate change. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. Appreciate it. Frank Holland, thank you. Straight ahead, the trades being made in our new CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer. There's one stock he just put in his bullpen. He's thinking about it. We'll tell you what it is. Plus, CNBC's third annual Financial Advisor 100 list is going to be revealed tomorrow. The list recognizing the top investment advisors helping their clients get back on track. We're going to talk to the number one advisor right here on The Half. We're back in just two minutes. Wind power equipment makers could be big winners if the Clean Energy Payment Plan is approved by Congress. The plan incentivizes investment in renewables through funding and tax credits. Giants like GE and specialists like Vestas are best positioned to capitalize on a windy future, according to City. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. IBM's price target got a bump today to $176 from $167. That at Credit Suisse, it follows the company's investor meeting. 
There's the stock today getting a little bit of a bump. It's at 144, so it has a ways to go to get to that. Jim Cramer on CNBC's Investing Club saying the stock is done going down, and it's a good potential bullpen name for his charitable trust. Um, I want to talk to both Stephanie and Pete. Steph, you first. It's your largest tech position is IBM. By a mile, by the way. Um, I thought they did a really good job outlining the changes at the company in favor of growth, uh, particularly in cloud with Red Hat and also in consulting. I thought the free cash flow numbers were a positive surprise for sure. $35 billion over the next three years. They're going to have $40 billion in liquidity. So they'll use $18 billion for dividends and the rest for M&A. So they're going to continue on this M&A streak, buying growth. They've done a really good job at increasing the recurring revenues and their software business. And it's interesting. There's only five buys out there on the sell side, 13 holds and sells. And every report I read was actually really positive. So 14 times forward with a 4.6 yield. I like it very much. Did you have anything to do with Jim Cramer wanting to put this in his bullpen? <laughs> I know how you guys talk. I mean, you could take a little bit of credit, and only if it's true. No, it's not true, but we have talked about it. He beat me up when I bought it initially. I bought that one and I bought Cisco. And he's like, oh, my goodness, two boring names. I like boring. All right, he's come over to the right side. Um, Pete, you like boring, too, because you own IBM stock, which you've which you own forever. Yeah, I, I have. And, you know, the, the disappointment for me is some of the C-suite changes that we've seen over the last couple of months. And that that part bothers me a little bit, Scott. But other than that, yeah, I mean, Steph went through it and I don't need to regurgitate that again. But. The fundamental story is there. Do they have the growth? Can they move forward? That's been the part that we've been waiting on for a really long time. I do love the cash flow. The free cash flow is incredible. You take a look at the PE and the forward PE. Yes, all of those check all the boxes. But we still need to kind of show me the money, so to speak. And, and we, don't get, we haven't gotten that. I think we will. It is a little bit boring. I totally agree. But at the same time, when you've got 4.5% dividend yield and these guys are buying back shares and, and shrinking the amount of shares that are out there, if I'm owning that stock, I'm getting that dividend yield, and I'm selling calls against it each and every month, Scott, it actually turns into a little bit more exciting and a little less boring of a stock. So I know I'm going to talk about the investing club again, but the whole reason – you want to sign up for the investing club is because Jim told you he's putting it in the bullpen. Don't you want to know when he actually buys it? He's going to send out notification if and when he does. And then you'll know. QR code, right side of the screen, cnbc.com forward slash investing club, in case you forgot how to get there. Farmer Jim, no IBM for you? You love old tech. Qualcomm, there was Intel. Man, this is right up your alley. Jim, you love yeah. dead money. So, <laughs> no, Steve Weiss right, is not on right, the show right. today. Hold off, on, hold, off, hold off on the brickbats. I've been in IBM three times in the last seven years. You can take a look at the chart and you can imagine it hasn't, been a very, it hasn't been a very fun time. And there's this concept in behavioral finance of utility of wealth. I am happy if my friends, Steph and, and Jim and Pete, make money. But if I go into this and lose money, the irritation that I am going to feel by losing money a fourth time on this stock is too great compared to the upside positive emotion I will feel if I make money. That's the utility of wealth. For me, it's an asymmetric trade-off. I, I, I hope everybody makes money, and I will clap from the sidelines. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you, Jim. Coming up, Pete has unusual activity. Plus, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and we are spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, our own on-air anchors and reporters. 
Here is CNBC reporter Bertha Coombs. My Latino heritage is really wrapped up with being a Cuban immigrant. We moved to the U.S. when I was four. My dad felt that we just couldn't make a life in Castro's Cuba, and he came here for greater opportunity. And that's something that has just been ingrained in me, that you need to take risks, you need to be willing to explore the unknown to really get that payoff in your life and your career. Mr. Nigerian, let's talk some unusual activity. What do you have today? Sure. I'm going to start off with financials. So I'm going to give you a Bank of America. This one's interesting. It just hit a new 52-week high today, Scott. And while it was doing that, stock was trading right around 44.40. We had a buyer of the October 8th expiring. So that's Friday. Just be careful of that. And it's the 44 strike calls. Looking for a little bit of torque here. Those are going for about 50 cents. My next one is Wheaton. Now, Wheaton's pretty interesting because we haven't had a whole lot in precious metals in a long time. Gold has not been very... uh, productive. But maybe at these lows, somebody out there seems to think this is a stock that could go a lot higher. They're buying the December 40 call. Stock is underneath 37. December 40 calls, about 8,100 of those, Scott, for about a dollar. I had to jump on that. I think eventually gold will start to move to the upside. So I like these Wheaton calls. And of course, I like the the financials as well. I know you do. All right, Pete, thank you very much. I should also remind you, do not miss a CNBC special tonight. Melissa Lee reporting on the generation that's been flocking to sports betting and trading apps. She talks to one addiction specialist who sees warning signs, especially when it comes to the proliferation of trading apps. When I open up these apps, I see gambling. It looks like gambling to you. Because it is gambling. Because it's 24 hours, seven days a week. What about them is addictive? What I'm seeing certainly are the basic core elements of of gambling, intermittent reinforcement, gamification, large fonts, graphics, encouraging people to continue to persist in that behavior. It's exactly the same techniques that casinos use. So it's all there. You can watch more of Melissa Lee's report on the explosive growth of trading and sports betting apps tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNBC. We're back on the half right after this. Southwest gas, Southwest gas shares are rallying, I tried to say. Carl Icahn's letter to the board of directors was released just moments ago. Our Leslie Picker is following the money. There's the stock up 6%. Here's the letter. Leslie, what you have and have had a chance to look over. Yeah, yeah. Rolls off the tongue. Southwest gas, Scott. But to your point, uh, Icahn disclosing that he is a large shareholder in this company, Southwest gas shares, rallying as a result of that. He believes that the company has a reasonable path to 75% appreciation from $63 per share levels. You can see it's now a Above $70 a share on this letter. It appears that what really uh, fired up Icon here is a report from Reuters that went out on Sunday saying that Southwest Gas is in advanced talks to acquire Queststar Pipeline. This is a gas transportation and storage business of Dominion Energy. The price tag there, according to Reuters, which cited people familiar with the matter, is close to $2 billion, including debt. Icon, not a fan of this rumored purchase, saying that it would result in a, quote, serious diminution of shareholder value. He doesn't like this idea of the strategy of acquiring non-regulated assets, uh, while its peers, according to Icon, are selling non-core assets to focus on more regulated utilities. He says that they're... Uh, they're uh, 
relationship with regulators is fractured right now, and he believes they need to be focused on that, on improving their relationship there. Also, expenses have increased under the new CEO, or relatively new CEO, uh, going back to 2016. And we have called Southwest Gas for comment. We have not heard back from them at this time. But, of course, Icon recently has been dabbling a bit in utility companies. And this one, of course, seems to have shareholders uh, quite happy today. Shares up more than 6% right now. And they were, looks like they were down earlier, though. They were. Right? And he, he mentions that in the letter that, you know, he, he thinks that other shareholders agree with his assessment, he says, given the decline, which was about 7.5% in the stock. Now we do have uh, a reversal. Maybe that's because we're, we're learning that Carl Icahn's involved now mm-hmm. and just his involvement alone is enough to raise the shares. That's right. It appeared that this report was what spurred uh, the declines in the stock. I think the price tag, people looked at that and said $2 billion. One thing that Icon also points out is the just the balance sheet and what this would mean in terms of CapEx and, and their balance sheet, especially as their expenses have increased over time. That's of course, uh, was a company that Berkshire Hathaway's energy division had abandoned an acquisition of Questar earlier this year over antitrust concerns. So perhaps there was a little bit of that as well. But clearly, shareholders seem to be applauding this idea that Icon is now involved. He disclosed this letter publicly on his website, on Twitter, so that anyone can read it. Appreciate it, Leslie. As always, following the money for us. Thank you. That's Leslie Picker. Hey, Pete, you know, I'm, I'm looking just in, since we're talking about energy. Uh, oil's pushing 80. I mean, it's 79 bucks yep. is crew WTI. Uh, you've seen some activity in the in the patch. It never stops, man. I tell you, Scott, for 11 months, we've had huge amounts of activity. It just continues to accelerate, and they continue to go back to both ETFs and a lot of individual names. Like today, for instance, we've seen Devon. We've seen Energy Transfer. We've seen the XLU. We've seen the XLE. We've seen the XOP. All of that hitting almost every single day. So even though it's had this great run from the price of crude all the way to where it is, including the price of a lot of these stocks to where they are, especially those beta names within the, the, the markets in energy, those are absolutely accelerating and bursting out to the upside. By far, my biggest sector positioning is in energy right now, and I continue to hold that and continue to add to that each and every day. I appreciate you telling us about that. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll yep. come back and we'll do final trades next. Let's do final trade. Stephanie Link, you start us off, please. Hewlett Packard Enterprises. It trades at eight times earnings, 3.2% dividend yield. It's also an IT spend recovery story in the cloud. We remember that Cisco posted 41% orders last quarter, so it bodes well for Hewlett Packard Enterprises. Okay, I'm looking at the rest of the list. Farmer Jim, hmm, which one is yours? <laughs> what are you saying there, Scott? I don't know. Scott. I'm asking you uh, seriously. Citigroup. Look. Yeah, Citigroup. Citigroup is mine. Um, you see where the 10-year yield is. I think it's going to slowly go higher. Yield curve steepens, benefits Citigroup, which continues to buy back shares well below tangible book value. That's immediately accretive on the balance sheet. Don't be so defensive. Gosh. Pete. <laughs> oh, geez, you've trained me well. <laughs> Thank you. We were talking energy just a moment ago, and I'm going to stick with energy. Devin, some huge okay. upside call buying way out in January. And PayPal's yours, Josh, real quick. Yeah, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good stuff, everybody. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach. 
to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.